to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, we are going to be picking up where we were at in the book of Acts. When it comes to um, um, resurrection and Christmas, um, obviously it's a special day. It's a beautiful time to um, really focus on those things. And so sometimes in churches, you will have kind of a standalone service that is specifically um, just going into the Gospels, the Gospel narratives, and, and, and talking about one of those Gospel narratives about um, them going to the tomb and discovering that. And so you can do a standalone service like that um, where the, the you're using one of the gospel narratives or um, sometimes it kind of just works out. And usually if you're planning ahead a few months ahead, um, where you're at, if you're teaching through a book of the Bible, like we're going through the book of Acts, um, it just kind of works out to where um, you're able to um, align uh, what, what they're, what's going on there with the resurrection story. And so um, this is going to be looking at today um, the ripple effects of the resurrection because we know in the last couple of weeks um, what has happened is uh, Peter and John um, went into the temple, were going towards the temple for prayer, and they had seen a guy that was there and he asked for some money, just some help. And he was a man who was lame and had been lame for his whole life, uh, meaning he was just uh, was not able to move and he asked for money. And they said, we don't have money to give you, but what we do have, we would give you and that they heal him. And then they were brought in, and they began to testify about Jesus. So we see it aligning with the Acts 1-8, that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And immediately, they knew beforehand, when Jesus, Jesus had told them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, they knew that would probably be troublesome. And sure enough, they start healing this guy, God heals him, and then they have to proclaim what happened. This was, this was God who did this. This was because of Jesus. And so then they're, they're captured, and they're, some guards come and grab a hold of them, and they go on trial. And so we saw that last week. And they're proclaiming the truth about Jesus and his resurrection. And so um, this is the ripple effects of them standing and being witnesses for Christ and because of the resurrection. So um, we saw last week this idea of them being persecuted and being put on trial. Very dangerous. They didn't know if they were going to lose their lives. They didn't know if they were going to be in prison from that point on. But it's the early point of the church. It's easy for us to read it, and we know the book of Acts and what begins to happen and how it kind of begins to snowball effect. Um, But they did not know that. And so they're on trial, they're um, facing these people, maybe facing death. And so um, it's the resurrection of Christ that causes all of this in their lives. It's, it's the resurrection that these disciples are believing in and telling others about. And, and that's, that's why these Sadducees, the leaders, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they especially didn't believe that, that Jesus has res- would, had resurrected and was alive. And so that's why they are in this kind of trouble. So we saw that in those first couple of chapters. Um, so um, I hope that we can look at the scope of why the resurrection is so significant and, and why it matters for the church and mission. Because it would be part of the church's mission to proclaim that truth. And so, and now here we are 2,000 years later, removed from those incidents, and we're still, as Paul talked about earlier, earlier believing and standing in those truths. Um, and and that, that's where we're, 
looking at today. So the ripple effects of the resurrection. Um, as, as we go through that, um, we're going to see an immediate response to that. So as they're released, um, we're going to see what happens with this young, um, very um, fragile church um, and these, these believers that Peter and John go back to. You can imagine what it must have been like for them watching them being grabbed. The last time they saw someone grabbed, he died on, he, he died on the cross, right? And so they're wondering, what's going to happen with Peter and John? And so um, we get to see, Luke brings us to, to this point of the story, um, and it's all because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Um, let me uh, let me skip down to um, we're we're going to see a couple of things here that, that I want us to go a little bit deeper into, not just the storyline. Luke's not wanting us to just see just the the events, not just the historical record, but there's something that's starting to happen, and it ties back to Ezekiel and it ties back to the Old Testament, to where it's it's not just a matter of the events that happen, but what God is beginning to do and beginning to birth in the hearts of His people, the hearts and the minds that then goes into the practical steps of the church, of the believers. So I hope that we'll be able to gather that as we go through there. Um, This is where he begins to apply the death and the resurrection to their lives. So it's not just an event. It is an event. It is true. But then what, what meaning does that have for my life? What significance? How does that have effects on me? And then what does that mean for the world around me? And so I hope that we see that also. Um, So let me read if you want to... Read with me. This is chapter 4. Um, we're going to do t- 23 through 33. And we're not going to really cover 32 and 33. It's a summary that Luke adds on there. But I, I want to tie it in today. So 20, starting in verse 23. When they were released, talking about Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So, Father, we pray in the same way that as we see in Scripture, we pray according to your will that there would be great grace upon us, Father as we have received the Spirit, as we have received salvation, as we have had the resurrection and the atonement of sins applied to us, would we be a people that have great boldness in the way that we um, talk about the greatness of Christ, in the way that we um, serve, in the way that we love people around our lives? Would you allow there to be 
great grace there as we are witnesses also to what Christ has done in our lives. And we pray that you do this with a powerful work of your spirit to where those around us, and the community around us, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, uh, the people we have, have fun with, the p- people that are around this community, that, that there would be a movement of the Spirit that would do a work that we couldn't um, point to ourselves, that we couldn't point to churches doing it, but it, it is for your glory and your power that you move. And we pray that you do that in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. So uh, the first thing I want us to see here is as they, they go into this is this report of the persecution. Now, again, this group of believers, some of them were not believers at the time, obviously, because we, we know that in going into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 new believers come, right? 3,000 believers at Pentecost, the book of Acts, they had the, the Holy Spirit come, and they, they spoke in languages of the people, and they were telling about what Jesus had died. They connected the dots from the Old Testament prophecy saying, this, all that you're seeing, this is showing this is the Son of God. This is Jesus. So 3,000 souls were saved. And then we find out in, in, in chapter 3, 2,000 more souls were saved, probably some more that was, that was men that they counted, and so there's probably more than that. So you've got this group of believers. Now, Now, not all 5,000 are gathered because um, that they didn't have space for that, um, but, but the, the close 120, 130 disciples that had been following Jesus, um, they're the ones that are waiting on Peter and John to come back. And so as they do... Um, we see this report. And look in verses 23 and 20 through 26 there. When they released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So we don't have a lot of what the chief priests said. So Luke wasn't concerned about the details because there was a lot of stuff that was communicated at that trial. Um, and we, we get a little snippet of what Peter was saying, but um, John was also speaking, and, and Luke gives no account of that. And so the, these chief priests, these elders, these Sadducees, they were talking, asking questions. So it was a probably a, a very uh, much broader uh, picture than what Luke does. And remember, that fits with the way Luke writes. Luke does not go into the, all the details. Um, so sometimes when you're reading the Gospel of Luke, if you're reading in Matthew or Mark, um, you may go, hold it, this story seems a little bit different with Luke. Luke will give you a little bit of, of, of what was said, and then he goes on to bring out, and as a result of that, here's the event that happened. And so just, just know when you're reading, it doesn't mean that, oh, the Bible must be wrong, or Luke got this wrong. He skips over some of the, the, the ongoing talk to say, and here's what happened as a result of that. Um, and so just so you'll know, that he didn't give the, this wasn't an exhaustive account of what was said in that uh, setting. But they, we do know that they said these things. They, they said this, the, the chief priests and elders. They said, you know, what power or in what name are you working those miracles? You remember that from last week. They just said, by what power did you do this miracle? Um, they also said, um, they, they said, hey, we're going to let you guys go for a little bit. And you're going to go into this little cell over here. And we're going to convene and we're going to talk. And as those leaders got together, they said, what are we going to do about this? They've got the whole city in an uproar. There's all these new people that are now putting their faith in this dead Messiah because they believed he was dead still. And they're like, they're, they're, there's, and there was a lot of false messiahs. There was a lot of false messiahs at the time. So they were just going, this, 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 this is just another one, except there's miracles going on. So what, what are we going to do about this? And then the third thing that we know that they told them is when they come back, they said, okay, bring them back out of their cell. Let's get together. Here's all we can say is stop it. Stop talking about this Jesus and stop talking about his resurrection. You're upsetting the whole city. And so that's what they knew. So Peter and John kind of are just like, 
okay, so is that it? And then you know, they're like, yes, you're released. Don't talk about them anymore. Remember, Peter John said, well, we can't really do that. It, you're asking us to disobey God and obey man in this situation. So we can't really do that, but they released them. And that's what we pick up here. And, and as they went back to their friends, there's this beautiful picture here because um, this persecution ends up leading to praise. And so I want you to see those two things. Persecution has the chance to lead to praise, and persecution has the chance to lead to unity. And so um, notice there, they, they went back to these, these people, and the first things that they're saying, it was spontaneous praise. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God. Now, um, think through when persecution hits your life. And, and, and we need to have a, a clear distinction as believers, especially in this time period, I'd say as, as much as any other time period, what is true persecution versus I woke up and I had a flat, right? Um, now, if, if people, you know, some satanic cult come and put a sign in the yard like, we poked your tire and it's flat now because we're a satanic cult, that would be persecution. But if you just have old tires, that's not necessarily persecution, right? And so you're, you go through difficulties. You go, there's trials that God allows to happen to us. Um, there's, there's sometimes uh, physical sickness, there can be um, um, disease. There can be uh, just regular sickness that goes on. All kinds of things that can happen, but it's not necessarily persecution for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of Christ and his, his message, right? And so these people are going through true persecution. Um, I wonder if where we're going as, as a country and a global society, if, if it will become a place where there is more persecution. And that, that shouldn't cause us fear. Um, actually, it, persecution is going on for the 70% of the world. It's always been persecution, right? So China, do not speak in the name of Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus and his gospel. Don't talk about his resurrection. And what's happening in China? Churches exploded. Now, it's slow. When Jamie and I visited Beijing um, uh, back in 2000. One or two, and we were in restaurants, and we had about 50 college students with us. And the missionaries that that, that we we met on the ground there, um, they just said, "So when we get together to pray, we'll, we'll go to some restaurants when we pray. We can't bow our heads here because." And you guys may think, "Oh, this is really kind of Jason Bourne like." Um, we, we, if we bow our heads, they probably won't do anything to you guys. They may send the big group back, uh, but you're already being noticed because it's it's 50 students from America. But when we get together, we're going to pray with our eyes open. So, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this meal. Thank you for these things. We thank you for gathering together. And so we prayed with our eyes open. And you may go, oh, man, you're just not ready to be persecuted. It wasn't about us. Those missionaries said, we have spent 15, 20 years here. We, and we're not worried about being put in prison. We're worried about being kicked out of the country. And so they're going, we don't want to spend 15 to 20 years, and because a couple of you guys think you're Jason Bourne and want to you know, uh, start bowing in public and praying, that, that they will wait till you students move on, and then they'll come and get us and remove our families and send us back to the States. And so that's true persecution. In China, it's been going on. What's happening now in China? In little pockets, even though um, um, the, the generation from, from General Mao had said, we're killing, we're stamping out Christianity, man... China is exploding right now. China is just exploding with the Middle East uh, and, and Muslim area, mainly the Muslim parts of the world. Um, the, the church who has been stamped out by Muslims, who it's illegal to believe in Christ, it's illegal, you can be imprisoned or killed. Guess what's happening? All over. Little pockets are flourishing. 
So persecution has the opportunity to lead to praise. It also has the chance to lead to unity. Think of, they love going back to this group and telling them what had happened, and they're celebrating and giving glory to God because something happens when um, you are together in a difficult situation. We know that if people have been together through a traumatic experience. Like now, after some time has passed, there's some unity based off of just what you went through together. And there's a lot of love and there's a lot of compassion. There's a lot of togetherness in that. Um, and so there's a deeper unity. Sometimes I would say when we're looking at the church in America right now, all the books, all the stuff is saying, the surveys are saying just, just the, the commitment level to uh, church, the, the, the amount of people that have dropped out of the church. And then also, not only that, but just the spiritual fervor that everyone's kind of like, uh, uh, that's kind of... And so spiritual fervor has went down also. Um, I wonder what would happen if in the coming weeks they said, we forbid you to meet. And not because a, a pandemic like was there, but no, we're saying as Christians, you cannot gather together anymore. First of all, the church, we shouldn't be shocked. Like we shouldn't go, oh, we're shocked by that because that, again, that's 70% of the world a lot of times, right? Um, and so what do you do then? And so then when you're looking at that, there's a spiritual benefit. There's potential for spiritual benefit when things are pressed. When it's comfortable and easy, what matters most, tendency of our heart, is more ease, more comfort, more entertainment, more seeking these things. Um, so there's a spiritual disadvantage when you're living in, in so much freedom to where we actually take things for granted. So I'll just ask you, so... so what if the things that we see as strengths in our country, maybe that we kind of are taught in schools and things, so pride, your self-pride, your, your self-esteem, even your rights, they can never take those away. Yeah, they can. Do you realize, go, go to Rome, greatest power ever. Pay your 50 bucks to go and stand and look at eight columns that are destroyed now to see this, this Colosseum, these great places that, like, it doesn't take anything for, for nations and countries to be removed. And by God's grace, we've been a country that says we do value freedom of religion, and we, we want people to have the freedom to worship Christ and gather together, but, but there is a disadvantage if we take that for granted. Um, what if self-pride and self-sufficiency, kind of the American way, pull up your bootstraps, we're the kind of people that we go after that. That's not really what you're seeing in the Bible. What, what did God want us to learn? Humility, it's not how strong you are, it's how strong God is. And so there's this counterintuitive way of thinking. Um, now that's not to say that God also has stories in the Bible that challenge us to be, be courageous and to do these things and to be strong in the power of God's might, not your own, right? And so it's not saying that you know ha having a healthy view of oneself is bad. It's just saying that should your your identity should come from your humility and your identity in Christ, not you thinking that you're just so powerful in your own ability and your own strengths, and then just you, you, in a tiny way like uh, uh, God gives me the glory. It's like when you have these you know it's it's like uh, on those TV shows where it's like an award ceremony, and you're like hey. This, song, this singer or this, this entertainer, every one of their songs is all about like um, sexual immorality and living for self and living for gold and living for cars and living for this. And then they get a word like, I just want to praise God. He, he's the one who blesses me. Just hashtag bless. And you're like, 
hold it, everything about your identity is like complete debauchery, right? It, 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 it's about you being God. There's nothing. And then you, just, you think that you can just go, well, God gave me all that. No, no, that's probably not it. And so that, that's what we do as taking those things for granted. And so we, we fill ourselves up with pride. Do you ever take for granted the grace that covers your daily sins? Do you ever go three or four days without even stopping to think through the, the little sins that you had committed? And so we know that First, first John says that um, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, right? But how many times do we not even go to God to say, I guess I am really sinful in these things. I'm still struggling with this. How, how often do we take for granted um, just the forgiveness of our sins? Do you take for granted the freedom to, to gather together as a worship? Again, as a country, the pandemic just revealed what was at a heart level, that we really don't need the church anymore. Man, being on the lake is phenomenal. I've improved my golf game by, by seven strokes. But you know what? I, I can click play on that thing while I'm out on the boat and, and kind of listen. And, and here, here's, here's one thing that's, there's, there's a good thing about it with technology and the availability, but, but the negative thing is it's not the church. The good thing is that, so we have podcasts, we have uh, articles, and so, so anyone can go, oh, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm clearly a believer. I, I click on The Village and listen to Matt Chandler. I click on and listen to John Piper. Um, I click on and go to uh, Elevate Church and listen to the worship songs. And so, and so there's this isolated, it's me and my own Christianity, and there, there's no body of Christ. I'm not committed to a body of believers. So what did God give gifts to? He gave gifts so we would serve one another together and work in those gifts together in unity. And so there's a spiritual disadvantage when you take what God has granted us in his grace, some technology, and go, I'm going to live as a maverick along, alone by myself, just me and my family. And we, we don't want to be committed to you people because you really stink and are, are difficult to be around and you sin against me and, and I'm really good and holy and you guys are really mean and hurt my feelings. I'll just listen to this podcast. And that, that, that's not been Christianity for 2,000 years, right? And so we take for granted even just gathering together with the saints. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, people in this small group, in, in your living room, disagree with you and have different stances. And that's why you need more grace from the Spirit. Not 10 people who just identify and, and, and look at things exactly the way you do. And so that's what God's doing in the body of Christ. It's not easy. You need the Spirit. It's not about just getting a group of people that agree on everything. So any chance that we take prayer and the Bible and gathering together for granted, Acts is going to repeatedly show God using that persecution to fan and to flame those things. So persecution doesn't allow taking things for granted. Persecution is a grace gift that lets you see what matters most, and that's what these people are going to go back to. Like, God, you did this. So the next thing that we see there is this prayer of praise. Notice um, that the they, first thing they recognize, they step back and go, God, this was your sovereignty that allowed this to happen. The first thing is enjoying God's sovereignty. He said, when they heard this, they lifted their voices together and said, sovereign Lord who made the heavens. So they take a, a big 100,000 foot view. God, you're the one who created the heavens and the earth and all people on the earth and everything. God, this huge, magnanimous God, you're the one who did all this. And then they go into this, this quote here um, uh, uh, from David. From, it's actually from Psalm um, 2, 1 and 2. He says, 
Why did the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, so these high, powerful people, the kings, the presidents, the, the leaders, and the rulers, they were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is uh, close to Christ there. And so they're saying, you're the one who's sovereign over these things. They start making these connections. Sovereign Lord, you're the one who did this. And notice how specific they get. They start connecting the dots again. Um, Look, they, they begin being amazed at God's grace, even in the persecution. It says, for truly in this city, they're, they're praying this out to God, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. There was Herod, there, there was Pontius Pilate, there was the whole Gentile group, so all the Romans and all the soldiers, everyone that was Roman, anyone that was not Jewish, which was a, a big part of the city, but then the people of Israel who should have known the people who had your commandments, the people who had your law, the people who had the covenant with you, they were all gathered together against Jesus. And notice what it says there, to do whatever your hand, God, what your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Did, did you see what happened there? There's a switch that happens. They begin to see we shouldn't have been so worried about the persecution and fighting against it so bad and this was God's will. Um, you did this. This was you, Father, who did this. Jesus on the cross and resurrecting, that was your plan and your means of providing salvation and eternal life for us. It was you, God, who accomplished this mysterious plan, and it was for my good, for, the, for my soul, and for your glory. This was you, God. Your hand and your plan, you're the one who pulled that off. You use the evil plots and plans uh, of mankind to accomplish your, your mysterious will, the background going on there. And so a beautiful thing. These people are trying to destroy God's plan, but in turn, they merely succeeded in bringing about God's redemptive plan, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. They had no idea what they were doing there. Um, and here's a beautiful thing. Think about the crowd gathered. Think about the ones that are there. Think of the, the, the whole Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Jews, and this is what's happening now. Jesus dies on the cross, he resurrects, he ascends, and now what's happening? The very thing that you did there, the crucifixion, it's being offered to you as salvation now. Not only did he plan it and use your evil deeds and your evil processes, he comes on the backside, instead of just smacking you with wrath, he goes, no, the wrath was on him. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. And so here, here, here I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you the offer of salvation, even though you were used to crucify Christ. So it's amazing. In persecution and in difficulty, you can look to God as the sovereign one over all things, and you can look to God's amazing grace. So next time you're going through one of those persecuted times, what do you look to? Are you seeing things as God's sovereign plan? And are you understanding that God is sovereign? He, he's not out of control. Even though your, your life plan and your trajectory may not be working, and then to look at God's specific grace and pointed grace in the cross. I may be going through this, and especially you young people, I really believe Christianity in America is going to be different for you guys than what my grandparents and my parents and what I've lived 50 years. I believe it's going to be very, very different. And so I talk to my boys all the time. Are you going to be able to stand when it 
could be illegal to stand for some of the things that we believe. What will you do then? Um, so um, they're connecting the dots. You allowed all those evil people to put all this mis- mysterious plan of salvation in for us. So, so now they're connecting the dots. Look at these scriptures. Very easy one. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. That's what he was doing. First John 4. In this is love. Not that we were good and that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Not one of us would have chosen God. Not one would have, one would have loved God on our own. And we think that we would. You can argue that just Scripture in God's mind is the thing that argues against you in that. That in this is love, that, that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That word propitiation just means, means that when he resurrected from the grave, that was God saying, I'm accepting his death as the, the, the atonement for your sins. The proof that, that the wrath of God was completely exhausted on Christ, so you don't have to go through any kind of hell later on. The proof of that is the stamp of approval, I raise my son back to life. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the beauty of the resurrection going. It was all completely exhausted on Christ. No more wrath if you're in Christ. I approve of my son's atonement for sins. 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake, he, the Father, made him, put all of our sins onto him. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by man. He, by men. he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. We, we thought anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. He's smitten, he, he, God's against this guy. And yet we were wrong in that. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. And that word chastisement is just this picture of just this bloody beating. The Father. So all those in the Passion movie where they're just bloody beating, just ripping his, his skin out, and then for him to die on the cross, that was the Father's wrath on a holy, innocent son. Now, which one of us, if you've got children, would ever do something? If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you found out you had three kids and one of them didn't do something wrong, but the other two you know, did something really, really bad, how many of us parents would take the innocent son or daughter and go and just repeatedly just rip them to shreds with, with some sort of beating. First of all, that kid would be going like, this is not fair. I don't want to do this for them, right? And, and, but this is exactly what the father did. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity. Upon him, the chastisement that brought peace between us and God, reconciliation. With his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own way, every one of us. And the Lord, the Father, laid on the Son the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Father to crush him. Yes, Pontius Pilate and Herod and these Jewish leaders and the Roman people, yes, those those things on the ground, but the Father was the one aligning through history and through time and through decisions and using even Satan's uh, desires to kill Jesus all of those things, he used all those things powerfully to provide the cross and the resurrection. So beautiful stuff. Jesus gets wrath and anguish. 
the Father accepts that sacrifice for sins and says, wrath is removed. That's what the resurrection screams. So beautiful stuff. So they're connecting the dots. Um, and the last part there, I want you to see in, in, in the fourth point, there's prayer requests for more spirit and power bowls. Notice what happens. There's a switch in their prayer. It goes from this prayer of praise, sovereign God, you're the one who did all this, to now I want to, this is the big turn, and this is the part for us church to go, is this happening? Is this happening with me? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you, continuing on to stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place with which they were together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with those. Notice their prayer requests. It would be very understandable. So you've gone before this group, you're on trial, you know Jesus was killed by this same group of people. What would you be praying? If you get released then, you kind of get like, wow, uh, we, uh, we got nine lives here. We, we used one of them. Like they didn't imprison us and, and they let us go. We were released. What would you be praying? It, very understandable. We'd go like, hey God, could you let like a boulder just like fall on those people or some, some lightning from heaven? Like, and remember even some of the disciples at one point they did that. They're like, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? Think of the, the, the pride that those guys have. Like you're beside the son of God, you know, and you're just like, hey, we see you working a lot of powerful things. How about we just call down some fire from heaven? You know, and so that, they were thinking that. We would probably be doing the same thing, especially if your skin just barely got saved. So it'd be understandable for relief here. Removal of all the threatening people. So what would you pray for? What do you pray for when opposition comes your way? Remove me out of it immediately? And then we get frustrated when five days later it's still there. A month later it's still there. Six months it's still there. So do you remove, do you just pray, just God, just remove me from this. Remove me from this. Man, there's so much that we can learn in the valleys. There's so much that you can learn in a dark cave. You'd never choose it. If you had a way to go and like there's this beautiful, sunny, uh, high mountain peak to go through, or this cave and said, enter upon your own risk. Would you go that way? Would, would you want to learn those things? There's something that he enjoys in that. And there's something that we can learn to praise and trust and enjoy in the middle of that also. Um, they ask God to keep an eye on their threats, so, so, so keep an eye on this situation, but notice they ask for more boldness. And, and so they realize one thing that we don't realize, boldness is not just a decision. Being able to just speak to people is not just a decision that you just make. They go, we need supernatural power from the Spirit. Does that sound familiar? What did Jesus say in Acts 1-8, which we say is the key verse? What did, what did he say to them as he's about to lift off and ascend? I'm not going to do it right now. I'm not going to lift off or anything. But this is what he told them then. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power and not like you know to lift heavy things. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power. And then we learn the word power meant in bold proclamation in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses. That's what the power was. What are they asking for now? They just went through persecution, and now they're going, hey, God, would you send more of the Spirit and send more boldness so we can be your witnesses? So something flipped. The Holy Spirit flipped the script. What they are praying for is their desire for prayer, send supernatural power from the Spirit in the form of boldness instead of, man, just remove the problem. 
Remove the threats. Remove the bad situations with culture. Remove the fact that it feels like we're this tiny, tiny minority and no one out there understands. And the culture's against us and the government's against us and the political forces and the elite powers, they're all, that's all right. Keep an eye on their threats, God. But let us be in the middle of that with bold proclamation. So if you go to uh, Ezekiel 36, if you go back to Ezekiel in the, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, do you remember what God had said was going to happen with Israel as, uh, in particular? But then well, this is what happens for every single believer. This is the process when every single believer is brought to faith. The Holy Spirit breathes new life, and then you recognize, oh, I want to be saved. The Holy Spirit's done this work. Here's one of the things that he says in 36, 25. I'm sorry, I think it's 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes where you'll be careful to obey my rules. So there's a big difference if I said, here's a new sign. Here's our new mission. And put up on the side of this wall, here's the rule we're going to live by. Let's all go and run eight laps around the track. To be obedient, we've got to run eight laps. So that's the new rule. There's a difference between us going, well, I haven't ran in a long time. Not like Sujin, where I haven't ran in a few months. I just go and run a marathon and do fine in that. Um, after 20 or 40 steps, I start feeling things that you know, I'm dropping down crying about. And so here's the new rule. Run eight laps, and, so, and we all go, you know what? We can do it, though, because we know we're supposed to. Huge difference in I know I'm supposed to obey that rule to where when you see the track, you go, oh, man, I love the track. Man, the, tr the track, eight laps is what, I, I did it one time. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. I'd love for somebody to try to tell me that I can't go and do the track. I'd love for someone to try to get my way. I, I love doing this now. I I've tasted that. What happened with Peter and John? Going to this place, hey, we don't have any money, but stand up. What did that feel like? 3,000 people saved, 2,000 more people. What happened? Oh man. This feels great. Man, Lord, hey, don't care what happens. You can look at their threats, but would you give us more of that what you promised us in Acts 1-8? So there's something majorly different when we're a group of people inside the church that are looking to a list of rules and trying to keep that on our own willpower, our own ability, and we're trying to sometimes add even more rule. And when that is applied to your heart and now you love it, and you're going, I want more of that. I want more of that spirit. I want more of that power. Not to, to, to just give me chill bumps and experiences because now I've got a different view on life. And when I see people, those are souls. Those are eternal souls. And now I've got a taste of this. Lord, give us more boldness. No matter what happens to our life. Um, when it's become a love of your heart and not just a command on the wall. That's what he talked about in Ezekiel 30, where I'm going to put my spirit in you, and you're going to want to obey, and I'm going to empower you to obey. Obey. So then I'd ask you, so where are you at in that? Is Christianity a good list of rules, trying to keep your morals, trying to be a good person, trying to do those things? Or is it become where you're in love with Christ, to where the natural overflow is wanting to do those things, to see you can give your life for this one thing, and it does matter. Whether it's a car wreck tomorrow, and you're 16, or 36, or 56, whether it's a long, drawn-out cancer, what are you giving your life to? And these guys are saying, God, give us more boldness. Let us proclaim to more people. 
God wired you for worship. He wired you for worship and all. And we keep trying to capture and be captured by things that cannot bring that satisfaction. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you know there's things that are, don't bring us some happiness or satisfy to a degree, but but they betray us. They don't leave us fulfilled. Like I've told you guys, uh, the beach for me, the the, the ocean, I, I just I just it's what I crave. Um, and then when we leave, even when we're there, sometimes it leaves me. It doesn't satisfy me to the degree that I want it. And so whatever that is for you, if that's vehicles, or that's houses, or that's your, your bank account, if that's relationship, if that's getting married or uh, children or whatever, it, it's, it's not going to be the ultimate satisfaction. Only one thing was, and that's worshiping God. So and when we look back to the scriptures, what is it that you're praying for and what is it that you're asking for? This is what they asked for. Have we moved to the place where our desires, the loves of our heart, so the desires of our heart are in line with what God has said, this is what I want you to do. And again, not, this is what I want you to do, a list of rules. No, I want you to love me. And in loving me in that way, it's become this, this, this your, your desires and your heart is aligned with what I want you to do. Um, what a, a powerful, beautiful thing when that's what happens. Um, Notice the results that happens in 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed this, would you fill us with the Spirit and let us speak with boldness? And then verse 31, Luke gives a summary, and here's what happened. God answered their prayer. When you pray things that are in line with God's will, God tends to answer that. Uh, Tons of guys I've met with go to a church every once in a while, their career, they're given 130%. Church, 3%. I'm not talking about even financial giving. I'm talking about effort-wise, spiritual effort, not a big deal. My uh, friends, my relation, my, my kids' future star career in sports or academics or whatever, uh, my job, uh, my reputation, 140%. 140%. And praying usually, God let that happen. God let that happen. God let that happen. And sometimes, and sometimes they think, uh, God's blessing it. Look, look at my career. Look at my finances. Look at my kids. It's all. And sometimes that's, you're just working really, 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 really hard. So that has nothing to do with eternal things. You're not praying anything about eternal things. And we just get off track. And in America, you can do that. Other countries, you can do it too. But like in America, uh, exceptionally well. God answers prayers that align with his will and his word. And so they are realizing now, that's what you were talking about in Acts 1-8. The Spirit's going to come in power, and we're going to be coming to talk about Jesus. Now, I want, I want to make something clear. I was meeting with a guy this week, and we were talking about the different gifts and the different personalities, the way you're wired in church. This doesn't mean that if you're a person that's wired a little more shy, and you're, you, you, your greatest fear would be to walk up to just a whole bunch of strangers, and it doesn't mean that you just go up and like, in the name of Jesus, all of you need to turn your, and repent from your sins and get saved. I'm done. You know, that, that's not saying that that's what that boldness looks like. But it may be for you that you're the person who opens up your home and loves having people over. And, and you, you're, just, you're really good with people. And you don't even realize it, but people, even though in just your, your, the, the security that you bring, you're a good listener, um, that, in that, and when they begin to share some things, you're able to point them to That's the boldness. That's about Now, it also means that you may stretch yourself a little bit, but just know there's the supreme extroverted people that are going to be able to just go out there and, and just share with people on a different level. Um, it's still not easy, 
When I told you guys that going out into our neighborhood, just going door to door, just going, hey, uh, the reason that that, uh, that that came about was I'm going through this, and God's showing about the Spirit's power, boldness to do these things. And you guys know we transitioned to this little rent house that was kind of supposed to be this temporary idea, like we're still waiting for God to show us where. But I was like, I did this Google scan. I was like, there's 205 families here, 205 houses. I wonder if God cares about the souls of them. And is anyone trying to just offer them something about God. Um, there was a guy named Richard Baxter, sorry, Richard Baxter, and they said that when he moved in this one area, um, there was not a house in, in his community that had heard about Jesus. And just in a few years later, there was not a house in that community that had not heard the gospel. Now, when I'm going door to door in this awkward thing, I'm not getting to go, and I don't try to go, like, if they come to the door, like, hey, my name's Sankey, I want to tell you about Jesus real quick. Um, are you going to church? If you're to die, 100%, would you go to heaven or hell right now? Like, I don't try to do that in the first 10 seconds, right? Um, and so it, we're in a different place and different time. Back then, when someone went to your door and Richard Baxter, it was like, well, let's have a meal together. Let's spend four hours together, a different scenario. And so, um, but can we have boldness? And if there's an awkwardness, if, if all it is is a fear of rejection about being captivated in Christ and sold out to Him, I think that we can look at something different and go, God, would you give us more boldness? Would you allow more boldness? Um, and not, not in a weird, awkward boldness. Like, again, not in an elevator. You step in an elevator and like, I've got seven seconds to share the gospel and get this person to bow their head and pray the prayer. That, that's not that, 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 you know, kind of people get freaked out by that. There's Saturday Night Live skits for that. And so, but um, God may... I'll ask you to do that sometimes, but more the very people that's right in front of your life, the people that's right in front of you. And it's shocking to me sometimes when people are being cared for so well as a small church, I feel like there's been a lot of people, difficult people sometimes, complex people going through a lot that you guys have done a phenomenal job reaching out to, but we don't give up just because they turn sometimes. We keep going, we need more boldness. We need more of the Spirit. And so y'all have done a phenomenal job in that. I commend you in that. So notice at the end, verse 32, we'll start into these next week, but now the full number of those who believe were all of one heart and soul. So no one said that anything belonged to them, uh, themselves, but they had everything in common. And great power was with the apostles, and they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. How do you measure great grace? Man, um, just being walking in his presence, abiding in Christ, being willing to share the truth, letting people know that, that he is the reason that you're living and what the thing that you're living for. So as we started out, we talked about um, Christ being the resurrection. We celebrate today, 2,000 years later, um, with the same thing that Paul had said. I come to you with one thing of importance. It is the life that Jesus lived, the death he died for sins on the cross, and the truth that he resurrected. Um, we celebrate today because Christ has been raised. Our, our sins are forgiven. Um, and we have this hope in this life as we're here, and we can have more boldness and, and just, just an ability to talk to people about spiritual things from the Spirit as he fills us. So ask for more of the Spirit. Ask for more of a heart of compassion that you see people not as difficult and frustrating, but as souls needing the salvation that we have in our own hearts that we could share with them. And so as Brad comes up, I want to pray 
for you. I hope that um, today you will think through and consider the resurrection being the significant thing that sets us apart. All other religions, no religion had the deity come and die for their sins. All other religions had you trying to climb the mountain through your morals or through little rituals to make it to the deity. And ours says the deity come and died in your place. And the deity is resurrected and now back alive. That sets us apart in everything. And that's the power of God, and that was his plan. So let me pray, and then we'll sing a song, and then um, Sujin will be up to do the Lord's Supper. Father, we are amazed at this plan that they were catching on to in Acts chapter 4, that Peter and John were, were witnesses to in the, in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus, the resurrection and the ascension. And yet, God, just like us, they would be saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come back soon. Come, Lord Jesus. And so we celebrate what you've done in the gospel. We celebrate your life, how you treated people, the grace that you espoused to people, the teaching, the truth, but also your death, the sacrifice of sins in our place. And then we thank you that you had the power to raise from the dead, that the Father raised you from the dead, and that same power is working in us, that we have hope in that. And we know that the scriptures say that he ascended and that we're waiting now for you to come back. And so we celebrate, we worship you because of this true story that we've heard in Acts today. Thank you for the work that you're doing. We pray that along with the apostles, would you give more of the Spirit to us? Would you allow the Holy Spirit, just in this small little group, be able to be filled with the Spirit to where we are concerned and compassionate about the souls of people around us, that we would care for and love on the people around our lives? neighbors, co-workers, people in the ball fields with us, places where we hang out and, and go to entertaining things, would you give us heart that would see, and eyes that would see things in a spiritual realm? Give us more of the Spirit and give us more clarity in our message and more boldness. We thank you for that. We pray that you would do a great work in our own hearts and a great work in calling many to yourself in this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.